I ask anybody's question for years. You're an idiot. And really a disloyal person. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Disloyal Idiots, a Fans First Sports Network podcast. We are here to talk about the 2-0 Syracuse Orange, scoring over 100 points of total offense in two games total. And uh, I'm muted, so I'm going to... Let's try that again. Welcome to this week's edition of Disloyal Idiots, a Fans First Sports Network podcast. I decided to mute everybody. I'm Steve Haller. We're working with technical difficulties already, but the Orange have scored 100 points in two games, and we're here to talk about it. We do still have an APB out on Andy Pregler. However, we did get Mike Ostrowski to come in and uh, pinch hit for him. So joining me are Mike and Christian Guzman as always. What's going on, guys? I was waiting to see how long that took you to figure out. <laughs> well, uh, my, my problem is I'm looking at the waveform for my recording and everything was fine because it's all local. <laughs> so so the po- so, so if you're listening on your podcast performer, uh, provider of choice, this is going to sound really weird. <laughs> but on the live stream, hi, we have sound working. Oh, God, that's <laughs> great. So here we are. Guess what? We know technology. Uh, yep. Kind of, sort of. Sure, we'll go with that. Like, Syracuse kind of knows an offense. They know parts Maybe. of an offense? Maybe. The other part of the offense is yet to be determined for a variety of reasons. By that, uh, you mean those... my favorite part of the offense? Well, we'll get to that. Um, for <laughs> those the who most do important not know. part of an offense? Well, you know. Yep, for those who don't know uh, Steve's particular area of expertise on this podcast and website that we write on. Uh, we will get to the big boys in the trenches in just a little bit before we talk about, let's talk about uh, what just happened this past Saturday. Syracuse did win 48 to seven over Western Michigan. This is the first time Western Michigan has been held to single digit points against Syracuse in its third of her meeting. The first two were under Tim Lester. So clearly the Broncos needed Tim Lester to, at least have a fighting chance in this game. Well, those XFL quarterbacks really come in handy. I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you were there at this game, and it kind of felt like it might be scary after the first possession. And I think a lot of people in the Dome felt like this was going to be a lot scarier than it really was, especially after the first possession of that game. Yeah, you could hear a pin drop in there at that point. And even up in the press box, it was kind of a feeling of, what the heck did we just watch? Are we at the right game? Uh, we were. We did, we did find out pretty soon that, yes, this is the this was Syracuse and Western Michigan. And, yes, the Syracuse offense woke up after that. But um, we were warned that Western Michigan is a good running team. I don't, just don't think we expected them to show it that fast. Yeah. Well, they were a good running team for one run. Right. So I uh, I was also there. I was as a fan, which is weird to do uh, after so many years of being in the box. But the um, <laughs> I walked in. Uh, I had my my son's birthday was this past weekend, so we were at his birthday party and then showed up to the game slightly late. And uh, I walked in and I'm like, what? Donald Glover meme with pizza box. 100%. Just <laughs> walked in. I'm like, oh, things are on fire. Cool. Great. So apparently we turned things around slightly, seeing that was the last points they scored, but problems yeah. were had. The, it was good to see. It was also good to see that the Tony White era of defensive adjustments carried over into the Rocky Long era of defense because after that 75-yard rush on the second play of scrimmage from Western Michigan, uh, Western Michigan was held to exactly negative three yards of rushing. Yes, that, you know, carries on a couple of sacks here and there, but still the point still stands that Syracuse did pretty well to stuff the run and in general just stuff the defense as a whole. Where, I mean, well, I guess we'll talk about that first because it's kind of, like if like if we're pinpointing positives, it's that yes, the Rocky Long defense looks pretty dang good. Yes, it's only against Colgate and Western Michigan, but it turns out if you bring in the person who created the defense that a lot of college teams are modeling their defense after, it's probably a good idea that you know your defense is going to be pretty pretty good. Yeah, is that how that works? 
you bring in the guy that knows what he's doing and he still knows what he's doing? Apparently. Probably. Yeah. Probably. And it's definitely a good thing to see because one of the big reasons why Syracuse went on the losing streak that it did towards the end of the season last year was because of the run defense. And yes, of course, that 75-yard run wasn't exactly the most um, enticing thing to see from Syracuse. But afterwards, the trenches batted down, uh, the running lanes were blocked off and cut off. And while you're probably not going to see a offense that is of the weaker caliber, like Kogan and Western Michigan were, it's still a good sign to see that this defense is living up to the billing in terms of at least the front end of the ones on the depth chart. Yeah, it's... I don't know. The, I don't know how to put words to what I was going for. <laughs> but, yeah. We're doing good on the uh, the speaking front today. <laughs> All right, I'll chime in. Uh... <laughs> I, hey, sorry, sorry. Uh, no, I think good. also a, a good thing to point out this game, and like we said, granted, it's Colgate, Western Michigan, not exactly an SEC outfit out here, but uh, second game, second straight game with a turnover, second straight game with a pick six for a defense that it's been a couple years since they really had consist, forced consistent turnovers. I think that's a very good sign to see early on where – you know, they going back to week one where Christian, you pointed out how the corners are actually pressing at the line. They're willing to be a little more aggressive and not just play soft zone. Uh, I'm very pleased with that myself. I don't know about you guys, but I was going to say, you just, you said the words that made Christian (laughs) sigh of relief is more to write words instead of pleased. But I, it's, it's still, and while those are good things to see, I, I will say it still kind of juries out on this secondary because it just hasn't been tested just in general in this in these first two games. There haven't been like a lot, both quarterbacks that Colgate and Western Michigan threw out, at least in the ones on their depth chart, aren't the type of quarterbacks to, they're not Hudson Card. We're not going to see, we're not going to see him in Colgate and Western Michigan. And so it's going to be a very different style of quarterbacking that Syracuse is going to face coming into the Purdue game coming up next week. So while the, you know, the turnovers are nice to see the first real test for the secondary, and you can say, I guess the defense in general is coming next week. Yeah. And that's, I mean, Part of what I was when I was stumbling earlier, uh, I was I had been pulling up the box score and looking at uh, what what happened for total passing yards for Western Michigan, and uh, they finished the game with 220 yards in the air, 318 total offense, so under 100 yards rushing. But you know they're even against a what should be a very subpar team, still you know threw for a decent amount. I will say most of those came at the end of that second yard and that second half drive. Yeah. Um, the, that two minute drive at the end of the second half that ultimately ended in the Simmons pick six. Yeah. But other than that, like every single other drive was pretty, pretty buck standard to what we expected from just a three, three, five in general. Now that said, a couple of those drives and plays were completely killed, not by, uh, not by Syracuse's, coverage or not by Syracuse doing anything they should do but by Western Michigan receivers literally just dropping the ball open in space and I remember three distinct easy first downs that were dropped that way so I thought I thought you were going to say the penalties well no that's their own animal like we (laughs) I I I don't know if I've given up on harping on penalties at this point (laughs) let's talk about that we will get to that no let's talk about it right now that that was (laughs) Out of all the Syracuse games I've watched, and it's been a few over the past years as a Syracuse fan, that was probably the longest the first half has ever taken. Literally two hours. 
yeah, I could not believe it. it was 4.30 up in the press box before the second half, uh, second quarter, excuse me, started. And, that, and at, that, at that point, we're thinking, if we're going to be here this long, we might, first half, we might as well grab second from the media spread. Uh, but second off, those, uh, whole, that whole pace of play thing that we thought was going to happen this year mm. has not, hasn't happened so far. Well, it's hard to pace play when the teams combined uh, split evenly for 18 penalties, uh, Western Michigan for 99 yards, Syracuse for 72 yards. So we won that battle too by sheer yardage, but uh, both teams committed nine penalties. That doesn't count all the offset and declined penalties also, which Correct. were plentiful in their number as well. Yeah, there was a lot of laundry on the field all around, and it was really affecting... Uh, well, I mean, you could anyone who was at the dome could see how quickly everything cleared out after the half, um, and even at the half, uh, it was uh, the students were uh, it was a mass exodus, uh, and then my my seats are right above the student section, so it was like I was uh, chiding Dom, our uh, co-writer on Noons, uh, who's like, "Where where'd you guys go? Everybody leave or what?" And and it wasn't wasn't any different in the normal fed base either. Like everybody just kind of dispersed. Yeah, the the swift answer was yes, everyone left. <laughs> uh, but it's still a problem that we brought up last week on the pod. Continue to bring it up because it's a problem that Dino wants to correct, but hasn't found a way to correct in penalties. So last year, Syracuse was the most penalized team in the FBS. And already things are trending towards that direction, which is not a good sign. No, not a good sign at all. But, I, I mean, when you have a sixth-year uh, guard that at this point has committed four false starts in two games, it's, it's probably not a great sign that you're going to correct things. And now's when we transition into this talk. <laughs> the offense in general is interesting right now. And it's something that Emily Leckler brought up on Syracuse.com earlier today. Um, if For people who somehow stayed awake during the first half of this game, you might have noticed quickly that Syracuse was throwing the ball a lot more than running the ball. And Emily put out a good uh, theory to say that Syracuse probably right now might not trust its offensive line based on the personnel that it has at its disposal to run block at a level that is suitable for LeQuint Allen to show off his talents. So what we saw was LeQuint Allen uh, run eight times in the first half and Garrett Shader drop back to throw uh, 30 times, excuse me, it's actually 33, but he rushed on three attempts. So, what does that mean? Does that mean that Syracuse doesn't trust Liquid Allen? That's clearly not the case. We saw what happened in the pinstripe bowl. I mean, we saw what happened last week. He still got, if I'm correct, I think he got more carries last week. Yeah, he got he 16 carries last week yeah. against Colgate and only eight this week. And most of those carries were in goal line situations. He may have even had three carries in open field situations. So is the offensive line just not set up for run blocking? Even so, And if that, is this the offensive line you want out there pass blocking? Because pass blocking wise, it didn't look that great either. And if you had a quarterback who wasn't as mobile as Garrett Schrader is, and this might end up looking a lot different in terms of the amount of pressure that Trader received. He ended up with zero sacks, which is probably more a testament to his mobility than his offensive line keeping him clean. So right now, offensive line is, as we probably correctly assumed going into this year, the biggest worry on this team. Yeah, I won't disagree. Mike, you got anything before I go on a diatribe? Uh, go right ahead. <laughs> All righty. Okay, All buckle right. up. Uh, so chairs back, <laughs> lean back. Well, get one thing. Coffee ready. One thing for you two, actually. Uh, the 
what we saw against Western Michigan, Western Michigan's extremely blitz heavy team. Probably, I mean, well over 50% of their snaps, they're bringing somebody extra. And it's extremely high risk, high reward. And someone like Garrett Trader, who's able to evade pressure, uh, leaves open a lot of those shots down the field for the 10, 15 yard chunks that we were seeing. Um, in doing so, it does, un- unless, and I, I haven't had the time to go back and do a, an actual drive chart either of these first two weeks, but in doing so, you've got somebody extra coming that makes it look like the pocket's collapsing or makes it look like something's going haywire um, more so than it does. I don't want to comment without knowing what's uh, what's going on there, but in general, that right side of the line, especially now that... Um, uh, now that we have an additional injury to the offensive line in David Wollabaugh, who went down, was it f- end of the first quarter or was it in the second quarter? Either way, first half. It was the end, end, end of the second quarter. Yeah. Um, he uh, he went down. He was the starting right tackle who we still don't know what in camp was the number one, like what the actual ones were with the line because everybody's been injured all the time which I feel like we've heard a lot of times with this offensive line, in the, the, well, the Dino Babers era and beyond. Um, usually you need healthy people to push other larger, healthy people around. We seem to not have that. Wow. What a concept. I know it's crazy. Um, it seemed alluded to in the post game, right? Mike, that there may be some returners or some, some faces coming back. Yeah, so I talked to uh, Schrader. He said that Kalen Ellis and Joe Moore are both supposed to be back this week, which would be a blessing. But until we actually see them suited up Saturday night in uniform, not street clothes, I'm not exactly holding my breath. Right. Oh, right. That's a Saturday night game. Good Lord. Big 10 Saturday night, baby. (laughs) Luckily, it's on NBC and not Peacock. Big Ten well, it, is, it will be on. Pe- it, actually, it will be on Peacock, but it is also on NBC. Nice, thankfully. Yeah, not not a Peacock exclusive, thankfully. Yeah. Um. So that'll be you know it'll be a test to see who we get back. Uh, we've talked about Purdue as kind of one of those bellwether games of who's ready and who's up to one hundred percent. Is there anyone else? I well, we haven't touched on. We haven't touched on people going down, but is there anyone that's, what is that? Is that, what, what music am I hearing right now? <laughs> Some, whatever, whatever Pittsburgh music you can think of. We've got Stone Cold Andy Pregler making an appearance here. Well, now, now you got to blast Renegade. You got to get some sticks going, you know, Syracuse. Andy, Andy, I changed out of my Steelers stuff for this because I was too embarrassed to wear it after that game. I'm okay. embarrassed I drafted Najee Harris as my first running back. Okay, one, I could have told you that that was a bad idea. Mike could have told you that that was a bad idea. Jalen Warren is the truth. ACC forever. However, uh, yes, uh, the Steelers gear was put back in the laundry hamper, and the home field was put back on, and then I remembered I had a nice dinner tonight. No offense to home field, but they should really make a Syracuse polo because then I can wear home field for both casual and fancy would like to put that out to Connor. Thank you very much. Sounds like your dog really likes the smell of your dinner. Uh, <laughs> she does. So also my dog has this nasty habit of uh, during Syracuse games where Syracuse is blowing out the opponent being very calm. And then during like stressful games, deciding that she wants all of the attention. So naturally yesterday she was absolutely chill. Uh, but Are you I, sure? have this... I thought it was going to be the opposite, given how, um, as Steve put it, and I totally agree with him. This was the least convincing 41-point win I've ever seen. I don't disagree with that to a point. Western Michigan, uh, this is something that I think is kind of interesting about Dino's scheduling and not to turn this, not to become John Casillo here. Well, we just but... had O-line rant, so we're into scheduling rant. You're right on Here time. we go. Yeah, there we go. I see natural here. We got this. Um, so... Early when Babers was hired and when Steve and I were doing the show solo back in the day, thank you to all who are listening (laughs) then for some reason. uh, One of the things that we talked about was like how Babers had Babers and his staff had this fascination with the Midwest 
where we were actively trying to recruit out of Ohio and Detroit, a lot of like Michigan, Western Michigan recruits. And so it made sense that we were playing all these Mac teams. Also, I feel like it's partially Dino giving like a little shake to these other schools being like, look, we will schedule you for our buy game. Uh, Syracuse, my current employer, will gladly give you all of my other friends millions of dollars to come and lose to us in this game if all goes according to plan. And I actually really liked the Mac setup. I know that John was someone who kind of talked about how Syracuse has to juggle the sweet spot between teams that are going to not that are going to be a pushover in some regards. So that way we can get the automatic four wins for bowl eligibility, but you also want the games to mean something and have something. And the Mac for a while was that like perfect sweet spot. We get into recruiting hotbeds that we are going after. We get an opponent who is, we're going to require 95% effort, maybe not a hundred percent, but it's going to require most of the effort. And man, this Western Michigan team was just not there after that first drive i have not seen a team just so thoroughly and utterly mismatched and yet there's a lot of one and two star recruits on that team that in older years syracuse might have been looking at um it just it just felt like even though syracuse didn't have its best game which is probably the unconvincing part they didn't need it against Western Michigan, which then brings me around to the question of like, look, I don't love the fact that we're playing Penn state in a home and home. I really don't like the fact that we're going to Tennessee and we're going to play Tennessee in Atlanta in two years. Like, I don't think that's the answer here, but this Western Michigan game felt more akin to Colgate than in past years. When we played when we played Western Michigan on the road in Kalamazoo with an Eric Dungy at quarterback and that game felt like a precursor to something important. I may have the solution for you. A conference named the AAC, ignoring Cincinnati. Look, I would love a Syracuse Tulane home and home to pick back up because the battle of the home field best mascots <laughs> would be an amazing game to take place every year. And excuse to get me down to Louisiana. Uh, but <laughs> a lot of Syracuse <laughs> fans would make that trip. Yeah. <laughs> But I think for I think reasons one of the that things... don't include playing Tulane. <laughs> but you look at it like this Purdue game is. Uh, we'll get to the Purdue preview in a minute. But like this Purdue game is basically a toss up according to odds makers, and then the Army game should roll. So Syracuse essentially is only playing one non conference toss up game. Going three and one in non conference really important. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't keep scheduling it that way. It just it does just feel like though the only thing that could have come out of the western michigan game was injuries and the only thing that came out of the western michigan game was injuries well let's get to that because we already talked about one injury we didn't talk about the other important injury that probably changes this team second probably the second or third syracuse play from scrimmage aronde gatson gets his ankle rolled on and he is helped limps off the field heads to the locker room returns to the field on crutches and with a boot on his right ankle um dino said after the game that um and confirmed reports that gasson was already dealing with an ankle problem coming into this game but it was the other ankle so gasson now has both of his ankles hurting in some capacity Andy has his head in his hands, for those of you who are not watching the live stream right now. I didn't realize the ankle was a different ankle. I thought it was the same ankle. Same. Nope. It is a completely different ankle. This, my friend. And now Syracuse is preseason All-American. One of the only times Syracuse has had a preseason offensive All-American in the 21st century is now highly questionable. Trademark not included from ESPN. Highly questionable for this Purdue game. Ow. That's an owie. This is this is an owie. So I leave it to you, gentlemen. What now? Put Gadston in an ice bath from the waist down and just heal. And in all honesty, at this point, don't play him against Purdue. If we're not going to play him against Purdue... Here's actually my theory. If we're not going to play up against Purdue, 
The next time I want to see Gadsden on the field is against Virginia Tech. Okay. No, um, I think I think at this point the Clemson game has fundamentally changed. Because Charleston Southern played them tight for a quarter and a half? No, yeah. because they don't have an offensive. Their offensive line looks just as strong as our offensive line. That good, huh? <laughs> uh, I'll also make the case that Dable has completely lost that locker room. So that is... Oh, ooh, that's spicy! <laughs> the Clemson preview episode is going to be amazing when we all get on here. Um, Speaking of which, yeah, uh, I, I... tune back in sometime this week uh, as we will be joining our uh, Fans for Sportsnet brethren uh, from the Purdue side of things for a, a, another game preview. Yeah. It's tentatively a Wednesday broadcast, so we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll keep you all updated more on that as it comes. So, going back to the injury at hand, I I was personally okay because my my favorite player on this team right now, and I've made it abundantly clear, is Isaiah Jones, and he stepped up in when he needed when they needed him to because Jones essentially moved into that slot role that Gatson was playing. He was Jones was the the Y receiver or the Z I guess in the uh right. in the in the um original formation as the second outside wide receiver with the X being Damian Alford. But he moved into the slot that Gatson was uh occupying and performed pretty well as he clearly and quickly became uh the number one target for Schrader. Because, as we know, Schrader likes to throw over the middle, and big guy over the middle usually means success. And that's what Jones is. A little bit smaller than Gadsden, but similar body type and frame. And he got up and caught a couple of balls. Not just this week, but last week as well. And that should bring Syracuse fans a lot of confidence, at least in terms of if Gadsden can go. You seem to at least have a competent replacement. And a lot of Syracuse officials... I would say officials like players and coaches really like Jones, especially at the beginning of last season before his season ending injury in the Purdue game last year. And so to see him now perform at least in the first two games of the season looks like at the very least you have someone to replace Gadsden. Whether you have someone to replace Jones on the outside is another story. And while yes, there is, you st- you yes, there are people who have shown up. It's still a lot of unproven talent. Because Damian Alford, you know what you're getting from Damian Alford. We know what we're getting from Isaiah Jones. We know what we're getting from Rondé Gadsden. However, there's still it. I, it's and I I see your your puzzled look on your face, Steve. The reason I'm saying this is that there's still a little bit of green, at least in my opinion, on Donovan Brown and Amari Hatcher or the other guys that are going to probably replace Jones on the second outside receiver. Mm-hmm. And we have we've only seen Brown in two games in significant action last week and this week. Um but he hasn't been targeted that much. Yes, he had that fancy 86 yard touchdown run, but hasn't been featured that much. And Hatcher really has only played in cleanup duty at last year on the second string. And this and this year as the 1.5 option. Yep. And so it's going to be interesting to see how those two guys perform once the level of competition theoretically takes a step up. So a couple things on that. Do we know what we're getting with Alford? Because the last couple that too, years, that, 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 we, that, that is a good, right. that is a good point. Damian Alford did do a very good Kadarius Tony impression. Yeah. I have not seen any complete Gator arms maneuvers either. So, uh, what's, that's a question mark. Mike, did we hear anything about Pena in the, um, in the presser? Nope. Hmm. I'm guessing it's still going to be a couple weeks. I'll try to find out tomorrow morning, but he he was, uh, doubtful going into the game. So I'm in Dino's language. I'm guessing that's still in a couple weeks. Yeah. That's a good half season still. Uh, we've had, we've had people that were listed number one on the depth chart that were, didn't play for like six weeks. So yeah, 
I'm I'm uh, the Gadsden loss is going to is going to sting, and I think it's pretty obvious that he's not going to play against Purdue at this point. I as soon as he came out of the locker room with Brad Pike next to him instead of insert random football trainer (laughs) guy, you knew it was bad because Brad Pike only shows up if it's a big injury. Uh, So that was that was red flag number one. Uh, But even if Pena is not there, the one player who really impressed me from this game was Donovan Brown. Donovan Brown showed me a lot of. Like, I was excited that he had made the depth chart, not realizing that the Pena injury news was forthcoming. But he is your typical slot receiver. He does the quick little dirty moves in order to get a little bit of space. He has some nice yards after catch uh, potential there. He also is the body type where he can use his size to create some space. And that's the one thing that I have as a question going into this Purdue game is I think objectively Syracuse has better skill position players uh, on both sides of the ball than Purdue has. It's just a matter of size and whether or not Syracuse Syracuse's players use that size. Like Alford is a great example of a guy who's been bigger than everybody for three years. And we've got to see it actually materialize into something consistent. And I think Donovan Brown is somebody who in this game against Western Michigan and against Colgate, I saw a guy who's able to consistently use his size to his advantage and they're going to need to do that against Purdue. And so I would love, I would feel a lot better if Pena was back. But I think the drop between Brown and, or between Pena and Brown is way less than the drop between Gadsden and whoever the next primary pass catcher is going to be. Because at this point, I think it's really obvious to say that Gadsden, I don't care if you call him a tight end, you call him a wide receiver, whatever, he is the primary target on in Syracuse's passing attack kind of like Travis Kelsey with the with the Chiefs he's listed as the tight end but he's really inside wide receiver and when he goes down who is the number two and how much confidence do you have in that the Chiefs trusted Kadarius Tony and it did not end well the Syracuse has a lot of other options that they can trust but I am kind of intrigued to see who that will be because Garrett Schrader has been somebody who over time has proven once he has somebody, he really does not like to move off of that one somebody. And a lot of a lot of these two Colgate and Western Michigan games have been spread the ball around. We need you to establish a rapport with somebody else. And Alford dropping a wide open touchdown pass isn't going to build that rapport. <laughs> well, Christian did mention Isaiah Jones, which uh, that that seems likely to be the the new one A or new one. Uh, because I don't know if there's really a 1B, but, uh, you know, if I would have much rather had both of them out there running routes and catching balls because, well, that's talent. But having having Jones out there at least gives us an option. It doesn't leave us completely blank. There is a third option. A triple option, if you will? It is could be a triple option. And it's happy you bring up triple option because it does involve running back. Because remember, one of the things we really liked about LaQuinn Allen last year was his ability to receive. And if you're only going to rush him eight times, you might as well throw to him a couple of times. Well, and that's one of the things we haven't seen this year at all. So is this part of Dino's cookbook for whatever is happening in West Lafayette, Indiana? And, and correct me if I'm wrong or if memory serves me incorrectly, but Beck called called the plays on the pinstripe ball also. Yes, he did. Yeah. So he knows what plays work when to draw up success for the Quinn Allen. And the Minnesota secondary is a lot better than a lot of the secondaries that we're going to face this year. Yeah. So. Again, if you don't trust, if you trust your offensive line right now to pass block a lot more than they run block, you you might as well have them pass block and have the running back throw a chip and leak out. Well, that's uh, well for one, uh, LaQuinn Allen is a mild step up in pass blocking from uh, the glory that was Sean Tucker attempting to block things. 
but uh, him trying to slide off into a, like a delay route uh, against a team that's not going to be bringing pressure. Like, I mean, Purdue may bring pressure, but not like what, what Western Michigan tried to throw at us. Uh, you're, you're basically having to man up everyone in the secondary. And if you get that delay, that could open a lot of space underneath. And that might be something they're looking to exploit. Well, we might as well get into it, but before we get into it, Andy, you know you know about this part of, part of the time. Why don't we tell us home, about our friends at Home Field? Home Field Apparel, makers of all your fun things. Uh, warm, cozy, fuzzy, old school, vintage, comfortable. Uh, whatever adjectives you want to use that are positive when you refer to a t-shirt, a hoodie, a jogger, a sweatshirt... Homefield is probably going to fit that word because they are just a great brand based out of Indianapolis who make the finest vintage clothing for all your favorite college teams. Steve is rocking. If you're watching us on the Twitch stream, he is watching the vintage NDSU. Uh, let's go FCS. I was earlier today rocking the vintage Cuse dad hat that they make. Uh, they have a lot of fun things. And if you would like to take part in this fun home field tradition that we have, Use promo code NUNES23, N-U-N-E-S-2-3, for 15% off your first order at Homefield Apparel. Uh, I guarantee you will not be disappointed. I was rocking the Syracuse 1959 National Championship t-shirt this Saturday while I was hosting a bunch of friends for the game. Multiple people asked me, where did you get that shirt? Who is making a shirt for the 1959 Syracuse football team? The answer is Connor and his sicko friends who will make a t-shirt for anything good that your school ever did. He's kind of awesome like that. Uh, you should definitely take advantage of that with the promo code NOONS23 for 15% off your first order. They Please. also happen to have a very extensive Purdue collection because of the aforementioned Indiana-ing of uh, their their home base and their location. And I think if you – I believe Connor and the crew are hardcore IU fans – so they will go boiler down. We are united this week as Syracuse and Indiana are aligned on the anti-Purdue chart. But as I kind of mentioned earlier, opening line is Syracuse minus one at some books. I think <laughs> that you're going to see some fluctuation on that. You know, it's it feels weird. But also, if you look at the advanced metrics, Purdue lost to Fresno State at home. They only beat what people expect to be a bad Virginia tech team by seven on the road after a six hour lightning delay. Uh, after a monsoon. Yeah. There's, I don't know if we actually know anything conclusive about Syracuse. We know that Purdue is pretty much your bellwether five and seven, six and six team and going on the road. It so is Syracuse. going to be, well, Wait, yeah, that's not us. Well, here's the thing. I have been on the bandwagon for Syracuse 8-4. and four. I am not getting off of that bandwagon, even with the Aranda Gatson bad ankle. However... Ankles. I, ankles, yep. I still have to mentally recalibrate <laughs> the fact that it's not the one ankle. It's the two ankles. Um, I think if you objectively look at this game, Syracuse has the better skill position matchups at every position. Like when you go cornerback versus wide receiver, I think Syracuse's defensive backs are better than Purdue's wide receivers. I think Syracuse's wide receivers are better than Purdue's defensive backs. I think Syracuse's backfield is better than the linebackers, yada, yada. The only area where you can't say that Syracuse definitively has an advantage is in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And, uh... <laughs> If there is one thing that can equalize out a game, it's the trenches in a road game. On a, it's like a seven thirty NBC kickoff. So don't worry about getting your streaming option. It is big time NBC here. Uh, it is also the Purdue family weekend, so it is a sold out game. It will be a Purdue crowd. Uh, this is one of those games where I would really like the Syracuse offensive line to do that thing where they for four quarters all of a sudden perform like it's nobody's business a la Clemson in 2017. Like we've seen it happen before where they just miraculously gel for one game and one game only. Uh, but 
Yeah, it is it's usually uh, anytime they put the or step on the field against Clemson for some ungodly <laughs> right. reason. See, a- Andy, the problem with your thesis and dissertation is that in order for Syracuse's offensive line to step up, it requires Syracuse to have said offensive line. Correct. See prior rant. <laughs> so that it, it, Andy, how long have we been doing the show for? <laughs> Oh, I mean, we did it during the pandemic season, so pre-pandemic. <laughs> yeah, so at least once in our career doing this show, I would love to just have an offensive line that sucks less than, well, just doesn't suck. Doesn't completely suck. That's all I'm asking for. Just give me a baseline. And, like, it's not, like, we have a lot of talent on this offensive line right now. And that's the weird thing is it's like this weird amalgamation of people that don't know how to play with each other yet. And then we end up in this situation. Like we've had lines that are just bad. This one I don't think is bad. I think we just haven't figured the personnel out and we don't have healthy bodies, which is its I own think problem. What it is, it's another copy and paste of the last two lines, which is your left, your left tackle is pretty good. Probably going to get drafted. Your center is actually kind of solid. Probably won't get drafted, but he'll hold his own. Everyone else is like, right now, if we get Kalen Ellis back and are able to switch Blaish over to the right where he actually looks more comfortable, and maybe do something doesn't jump the gun, right? And then doesn't do what the Kansas City right tackle did. Yeah, um, (laughs) or or what he's done four times. That's Um, that's NFL rules. He can totally do that. What play a slot receiver like Chris Collinsworth said? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I I think. I mean the the heir the heir apparent to Aaron Service has appeared, and his name is Chris Bleich. Uh but the... oh, no, no, oh I, no, oh. I will not stand for that. So. Uh, you you won't stand or you won't take a fifteen yard penalty for that. Oh, um, <laughs> penalty declined. Replay second down. Yeah, the I think I think it's really apparent that there's we talked about it last year a lot with the new offense that Ana and Beck were trying to install, where it was really clear that the offensive line was not used to the timing of the motion set offense that excuse does not carry over into a second year, but it's really clear that they are trying to do a lot of timing based things. And for whatever reason, there are just certain guys on this team who seem unable to be managing both like calling out protections and also working within the timing of of the motion offense. And I think that that is something where, you know, I, I, Steve, again, going back to the days where it was just you and me and we were early on talking about this, we saw Dino go through a shift with his offensive lineman where he stopped trying to get the 280-pound, you know, agile Oregon type of lineman, and he was firmly in the camp of, like, if I can get a big guy who can play, like, I will get a big guy who can play. And I feel like across the board and again this is me talking about offensive line in a way that i'm probably not qualified to do so but i feel like being an offensive lineman now like it's just an evolution of the position in the same way that so many other positions on the field have had to evolve like as an offensive lineman defenses are going to be doing a lot more complicated looks like they're just not going to be like sprinting ears pinned back at a specific gap and you call out what if they're going into the gap or not Uh, you also have to be aware of all the motioning that's happening behind you. And there's timing uh, that goes into these plays. It's just become a much tougher job to do. And you'd almost rather have a player who's either undersized or less experienced, but more comfortable in that system than have a guy who's experienced playing a very traditional way. And again, like this sounds like subtext for like me saying that we should be pulling X, Y, or Z guys out. It's just more of a situation where I think we're watching a transition happen among the player pool that Syracuse has to work with. And we've seen in the past that Dino has been rewarded by going younger, by going more inexperienced, 
but with somebody who's far more comfortable within the overall system that's taking place around them. And I'm, you know, I think Kalen Ellis being hurt does throw a giant wrinkle into this line. And I'm not sure when he's coming back. Like Mike, I have no, like I know Garrett Trader had the quote, but I don't know how confident other people are in that. But I feel like Kalen Ellis is somebody who, if he was starting on this line, we'd be talking about this unit a whole lot differently. You did literally say a giant hole. and Well, it's Ellis. <laughs> also, for yeah. the record, uh, and Mike, I didn't mean to interject, but I have to point out that like a tear almost came to my eye. Like After all these years, Andy, you, you've officially made it. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Steve. Uh, Mike, welcome to the hive mind. Do I want to be here? You're here. You're here, but whether you're by choice or not. Right. You. You. You consciously said yes. I will come on the show. <laughs> yeah, that I did. That I did. Anyway, Ellis. Uh, all I can say with him is that I saw him during the middle of the first week of class. He had a brace on his calf. I have not seen or heard from him since, so that's all we got right now. How about we lighten this mood up with numbers? <laughs> or maybe not, because you could take these numbers in very different ways. Our good friend, at S- our former SB Nation colleague, uh, Bill, Bill C., now working at ESPN, uh, always puts out his great SP Plus uh, charts every week, um, and they were updated this morning. Purdue is sitting at 61. For those who haven't looked in the Slack yet, where is Syracuse? I looked in the Slack, so I can't answer. I'm going to guess that they're somewhere in the 40s. Mike, how about you? I mean, I did look in the Slack, so can I say it? or I'll, uh, I will break it to Andy that Syracuse is sitting at a cool 28 in the SP+. Plus. What? <laughs> <laughs> And this is Andy's reaction because for years he's been championing Bill's rankings and what what this all does. So uh, if you can't see the 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 actual visual on this, I think we this broke is, Andy. This is supported by a 44 ranking, a very on brand in the offense, a 27 ranking in the defense, and somehow an eighth in the special teams. Sure. Was that uh, all Jack Stonehouse's punts? All two of them. <laughs> we don't um, leave Pregler speechless we, that often, first, but for the first time in probably this podcast's short history, Andy is lost for words. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Steve, I'm about to say something that's going to make your brain hurt. Are we watching the 2014 Doug Marone team all over again? Like the team that was actually very good, but the schedule kind of screwed them and they ended up finishing eight and four winning, going to the pinstripe bowl. And everybody was like, Oh, it's a ho-hum Syracuse team, but they in Bill C's metric, they were a top 20 team. Yep. Like, is that what we're heading towards? Cause if that's what, if that's, what's going to happen, I am not going I am going to be insufferable online. <laughs> that was 2013. You do not want to mix that up for the 2014. Correct. No, Sorry. that was actually 2012 because 2013 was Schaefer in the Texas Bowl. 2014 mm. oh. was very very different. Yes. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. Yes, the and, the last Maroon year. And also there's no way we're going to the pinstripe bowl when we're already playing <laughs> a game at Yankee this year. So, oh. there's that much at least. Oh, oh so you guys did things. not see you guys did not see the ESPN bowl projections from today. I did. Uh, there is one Kyle Bonanagra who believes that Syracuse is going to play the Gator Bowl against Auburn. Auburn. Which a Syracuse <laughs> Auburn rematch in the Gator Bowl. Sean Keeley might come out of retirement <laughs> and have a expletive pat dye shirt ready to be made for everybody in the syracuse section oh if that happens we are having connor make those shirts (laughs) because i need that to be comfortable (laughs) this podcast has already gone off the rails and this is what happens when i join late i regret nothing Uh, so syracuse is 
30 plus rankings higher than Purdue and SP plus. I don't know how, but so and then what was what were we? I said it already. (laughs) What was the? You're better than them at everything except the one thing that you kind of need to be good at in football. Purdue Mm -hmm. is 61 in offense and 67 in defense. Huh. At least they're consistent. So I don't know. What I will say also, looking at the box scores and trying to get a general sense of this Purdue team also, is that the game plan we saw against Western Michigan could also set up the game plan against Purdue because Purdue's one defensive strength, like Andy mentioned, was in the trenches, which means you're pretty good at stopping the run. So that probably means that Syracuse is going to want to pass a lot. But are they good at stopping the swing pass? Oh, you mean the you mean that play that infuriated me that we ran with Tucker every time last year where he just kind of lazily went in motion to the outside and the ball was snapped while Tucker was still going in motion to the outside? Yeah, that one, but a variation of it that doesn't suck. I was okay. thinking I was thinking more like, you know, your standard belly, like pass block into a belly and like hit in underneath and uh, give price some space to work give, and give actually, give a chip and then leak out to the side. Right. Actually, you know, do things instead of telegraph exactly what you're going to do every single time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure I understand. Siri, Siri was confused there. Yeah, Siri, Siri was confused yeah. somewhere. I, I do I like it feels really reductive to say that a football game is gonna come down to trench warfare, but like it I've really been preaching is... this for years. <laughs> but but like let's let's be Steve like yeah, Cor- let's... Steve corrupted the site with soccer first, and now he's slowly trying to bring the offensive line in. But the, but this is where we're at. Like I think that if Garrett Trader gets enough time, like I think that there are weapons that Syracuse has that Purdue can't keep up with. And again, from what we've seen so far of Purdue against Fresno State and against Virginia Tech, it's not like this offense is like last year's offense where they're able to score at will. So you get into a situation where, look, on paper and with the numbers, this feels like Syracuse is the better team. It's just a matter of, you know, those those lines – Purdue is bigger on the offensive line than Syracuse is on the defensive line. Um, the offensive line of Syracuse is not performing to the level of, they should be performing to the level of. Uh, against And against Purdue, Purdue's just going to kind of put bodies in front and, and push. I am curious if, not necessarily swing passes, Christian, but one of the things that Beck has been carrying over from the NA days has been these pre-snap motions with the intent of getting linebackers to pause a moment before they make a move. Um, I think that like, if you watched across college football this week, that's what Nebraska was doing really well against Colorado was they knew that Colorado was looking for quick outlet passes and credit to our old friend, Tony white he basically countered Sean Lewis and said, but what if I drop eight? And the answer was, oh, you can't make the quick read. Um, and I wonder if you're if you're Syracuse and you know Purdue is going to kind of be the opposite, you're just running a bunch of motion stuff with Donovan Brown and Damian Alford and uh, LaQuint Allen, and you're just getting guys moving across the line and saying like, look, either halt your blitz or I'm going to dump it to this guy in space and get three to 10 yards at your choice. And I feel like that's an oversimplification of the game plan, but at the same time, it's something that we've seen Beck be very willing to run. And they've been setting up looks for that all season. Now this analogy is going to sound weird, but bear with me. Is this a game where we need Garrett Trader to be more like Eric Dungy and less like Tommy DeVito? Don't mm, get hurt. Without the getting hurt part. I don't know if you can have one without the other. Try. Hmm. 
that's just a Syracuse quarterback thing in general. So you could have just said Syracuse and could just leave it at that. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've we've celebrated the fact that Schrader has kept his eyes downfield when he scrambled out of the pocket. And for because for good reason, I think what we saw last year and the years before the years before was Schrader was too quick to scramble and too quick to tuck and run. And this year he's keeping his eyes downfield a lot where he's only rushed three or four times per game. However, his legs are an asset for a reason. And so if Purdue is actually going to do that 20 way thing of counter motion with coverage, then why not have Schrader take a go at a linebacker who he probably, in his mind, at the very least, knows that he can outrun and outshoot? I'm actually curious, what were his stats were last year against Purdue? Because this will give us a good indication of what Syracuse might want to try into. Yeah, I'm... Again... I'm I'm intrigued here because I think that there's a non-zero chance this game ends up being a shootout in some way, shape, or form. And I think Syracuse can hang in that game. But if this is a situation where Purdue does get into the backfield pretty consistently and they do so by bringing extra men and not just having three or four guys overwhelm the five guys that Syracuse has on the line. I wouldn't hate seeing Schrader rip off a couple of those big runs that he's done before to keep teams honest. Like this kind of spiritually, like this game feels like the Virginia tech game from a couple of years ago, like going into a quote unquote hostile environment, you know, the teams are pretty even uh, in in the trenches, even though Syracuse might have an advantage everywhere else, and Schrader just needs to use his legs to make plays. Not the worst situation, considering that you know he's two years older from that moment now, or a year older from that moment now. But I'm still cautiously, actually, I'm not cautiously. I I'm just straight up concerned about a situation where we are actively allowing Garrett Schrader to get hit hard when he is still quote unquote recovering from, from his injury. So Schrader stats last year, passing 13 for 29, 181 yards, three touchdowns, two sacks rushing 17 attempts, 89 yards gained. So effectively he rushed 15 times and gained 89 yards. So you have to believe that at that at some point in some affect opened up the field for Schrader to, at least in general, lead that game-winning drive at the end of that game last year. So there is at least that possibility for that exact thing to happen again this year. Steve, you've been quiet. I've been looking at a lot of numbers and PFF grades and all sorts of weird things and trying to figure out anything about this Purdue game. And I can't, I can't figure the, I can't figure the Syracuse team out. I can't figure this Purdue team out. So I don't, I don't know how or what or where to go from there. It seems like, I don't know. It's, it's a conundrum at this point between everything we're seeing on the Syracuse side and then like the, the entirety of what Purdue has done uh, on PFF looks like a, just amalgamation of whatever. So here we are in week three and still know nothing about this team. There is nothing more Syracuse than that. (laughs) Like, like, we we have a hundred and something points of offense and we have given up seven and we're talking like this, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's Syracuse, I guess. Is that the only definition or only, only response? Yep. 
Sounds about right. I don't love it any more than you clearly do, but I think that I think a lot across the ACC, we saw that this week was the like proof of concept game for a lot of teams. This feels like the proof of concept game for Syracuse. Like I would not be surprised if this game comes down to whoever has the ball last. I would not be surprised if Syracuse wins this game by 10 plus points. I would not be surprised if Syracuse loses this game by 10 plus points. Like I think all of these, like I think the range of outcomes is a plateau. Like it's just all kind of equally likely that, that it all happens. And this game will show us is Syracuse a top half of the ACC cul-de-sac team? Like, are they in that tier of teams that is nowhere near as good as FSU and UNC, but could beat Pitt or Clemson because those teams just aren't nearly as good this year? Or are they in that middle class of team where it's like, look, you're six and six and how you get there is going to be weird, but you're going to be six and six. Or are they going to be down with Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech where you're probably going to be lucky if you get to a bowl game and in reality you're somewhere along the four and eight the four and eight train like you were at least we're not boston college point yes also you were talking about the unc team that needed double overtime to beat appalachian state right to be fair they should have that game should have never gone to overtime because of kickers but kickers are part of the team so fair uh all i'm saying (laughs) is that brady tenenberg's not missing that kick right like again the uh, I would like to remind everybody that the in 2018 that the year that Syracuse was good, uh, SP Plus did not love them, but it loved their special teams. It had Syracuse as a top five special teams team in the country, and it's because they had a kicker that did not miss gimme kicks, which apparently puts you in the top 90 percent of college kickers, and the punting and return game was enough to consistently win the field position battle. And I think we've seen that so far with this team. Again, Purdue is going to be a different test than Western Michigan and Colgate, but jury's still out on return. I, yeah. I think the jury's still out, but I think the Purdue game will will give us a better again proof of concept. What what, what do we got here? Because when Pena comes back, the return game will be great. It's it's can what what can you do without him? And do you hand the reins to Donovan Brown? We've seen yeah, he's too. fast and shifty. We like fast and shifty. And I he don't did know. not fumble twice this past weekend. Also, oh, that's so a very cool. valid, very, 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 valid very important. Yeah. Um, you know who else didn't fumble? The Syracuse soccer team. Hey. Holding, holding holding serve against a uh, number seven visiting Louisville Cardinals team. Yes, Christian, they did basically lose it in the soccer equivalent of stoppage time that's what i'm Um, saying (laughs) they they were up 2-1 until the last minute and a half i believe i think it was an 88th minute goal um but overall to this team you can still tell is figuring itself out 100 percent from a bunch of transfers coming in uh and still being able to look the better team for just about the entire game against the number seven team in the country. I I think we're we're in for the real deal again, boys. How likely do we see another like run the table season for Syracuse where they win the ACC and they're, you know, in the in the national title conversation? Is is the are we at that level? You know what this honestly might turn into? a repeat of last year, where the swing game is Clemson. Always. For some reason, Syracuse and Clemson is always the stupid soccer game that means too much and is always way too good of a game. Every single year. Neat. So I'm really getting annoyed of hearing about how Clemson is an important game for Syracuse sports. Well, we did come to the hey, ACC, hey, guess, Andy. I don't know hey, if you guess what this. we got. Guess what we get to talk about next year? Well, uh, the important yeah. team for Syracuse soccer is now oh, Stanford. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> because when we thought the ACC was a meat grinder, guess what? We got more meat to grind. Let's 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 add the 
let's add the school whose basic directive is, oh, the director's cup, let's win that. Right. <laughs> hey, at least we got him in lacrosse. <laughs> hey, I'll actually give him give him a few years. Yeah, fair. Stanford really does need a men's lacrosse program. No, they'll be good at it. We don't need another good lacrosse <laughs> program to take away players that Syracuse thinks that they can just have show up on campus and be great. That's, Anyways, that's, that's my point. lacrosse take. We're not getting into that yet. <laughs> we'll make sure not that, that time of the year. We'll make sure to that's drag John in, in when that happens. <laughs> that's in about four or five months. <laughs> uh, you know what's not in a few uh, four or five months? Uh, Syracuse football playing Purdue this Saturday night, NBC 730. We will be back here Sunday night next week to recap whatever the heck happens in that game. Uh, I am very scared. Uh, I think we are all a little bit nervous and scared and it's going to be, it's going to be a fun week on the site. Again, like Steve said, we should be bringing it back at some point in time this week with our Purdue friends from fans for sports network. Looking forward to that preview. Uh, but gentlemen, I know I showed up late here, but I feel like we covered our two directives, football and football. Am I missing anything? No, it seems like a seems like we, we, we hit it. Then, thank you so much for listening to Dose Loyal Idiots, a fans first nation sport or fans first sports nation podcast. We again really appreciate your support. If you are listening on your podcast platform of choice, make sure that you like and subscribe to Trick the Ottoman Empire. Er, er, trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire. There we go. Trick the Ottoman uh, make Empire. Sure that- it's fine. Yeah, it's 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 all an evil empire at in some way, shape, or form. Uh, make sure that if you are watching us on Twitch, we do this live most nights Sunday at eight PM Eastern. Make sure you like and subscribe over there, so that way you can see all of our fun facial reactions when we find out how high Syracuse is ranked in SP plus or how low Syracuse is ranked in SP plus. It goes both ways. Uh, and if you are watching this or listening to this on our sister site, newsmagician.com, uh, we again really appreciate the support. Continue, really appreciate you continuing following us. Uh, as we break out on this great uh, adventure with our new friends. And as always, thank you to Homefield Apparel, who's sponsoring us uh, and continues to sponsor us. Use promo code NUNES23, N-U-N-E-S-2-3, for 15% off your first order. Gentlemen, the Syracuse Orange is 2-0 and and not getting any hype from the big national media, but from our friends and in sto- in st- uh, stats nerds corners. If they win oh, no. this week, you, you missed that we're 18 in the uh, FPI. Well, FPI is for nerds only, Steve. It's the same people that use QBR. Only only nerds use those things. Uh, when you when we start getting ranked in the AP polls, that is when we turn on the insufferable meter to 10. Actually, Nine votes in the on... coaches poll. Nine. <laughs> Actually, we turn it to 44 and then we go. Then we go obnoxious level. But until then, we will continue to play the disrespect card. We are the orange team that is disrespected. Go orange. Go orange. Go orange. Go orange. <laughs>